back in remote recording. That we are. Good times. Yeah, because um, Josh had to go to his parents in Oregon. I don't know why I almost said Georgia. That's not accurate. Um, what? Not anywhere near us. No, no, it's not. But, um, so when he came back, he has to quarantine for 10 days to make sure that he's not sick and giving it to people. So, remote recording. Woo! It's okay. Um, so we have all of six days left of Black History Month. Right on. I'm not going to do a huge intro because you guys just heard from us on Thursday and nothing has changed. Yeah, I don't even know what this episode is either, so. Yeah, Ella doesn't remember, but I did tell you guys kind of that I was going to do something for Black History Month, but that I wanted to make sure the case I was doing that wasn't stereotypically about, like, slavery or police brutality. I wanted to make sure that whatever case I picked was about, you know, celebrating the life of the black person. I didn't want it to be sad. Yeah, really the big thing was I didn't want it to be sad. I think this case is still a little sad, but their legend is so stupendous that they're, you know, only going to get more recognition now as it continues. And it's just something that I want to make sure people know about because I don't think enough people really know about him. Okay. So this is going to be the legend of Robert Johnson, who is the infamous Deal at the Crossroads blues player. Oh, we're getting a two for one. Sort of. They're all, it's all very intertwined, but, and we, it's kind of got a whole bunch of different layers to it, but regardless, he's a very important person that people should know about. Yeah, for sure. Like, regardless of the legend or not, as a person, I don't know a whole lot about this, actually, but I'm excited to learn. Yeah, so I knew a bit about this, and then the more you research it, it, it doesn't... I dropped Ella. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, I got it. Um, I should, probably should just leave that in there, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, the more you research this, it doesn't really seem that know, magical or fantastical, which is a little disheartening to me because I like the legend but I'm all about celebrating the person and I don't want to discredit their talent because people love a legend so much oh for sure yeah okay so Robert Johnson was born around or on May 8th of 1911 It's not entirely known. It's because of how old the the birth records were. And also, he he was a black man living in Mississippi. And they probably weren't following his records as much as they wanted to be. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, so he was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. um, And he was born in what is the wake of the Redemption Era. So this is... After the Civil War, this is, you know, when people, when black people aren't slaves anymore and they're in that weird transition of what are we now? Yeah, it's like in the Industrial Revolution, I think we're in the Gilded Age right now. Like Some, Something around there. So, um, and this was, of course, uh, a huge time when white supremacists all over the South had started to try and reverse a lot of the freedoms that black people had been given after the Civil War? Of course they did. Because Because white people. people. Yeah. Did you say because white people? 
I did, yeah. We said it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, because white people. So his because mom, Julia Dodd, was married to Charles Dodd. Um, and he actually was a pretty successful and preposterous, preposterous prosperous um, <laughs> landowner and furniture maker. So oh, okay. he was he was doing pretty well, and yeah, good for him. Um, together they had ten children, but okay, yeah, That's... too many kids for me. But it's the old <laughs> times. I don't even think I could handle one, let alone ten. That oh. woman is a superhero. Yeah, but um, you know, a lot of people people had a lot of kids back then because they didn't know if their kids were gonna make it. Also, there wasn't birth control. Um. Anyway, so however, Charles being so successful really pissed off the white people. Oh, yep. So, yeah, so he was forced to leave Hazelhurst by being chased by a lynch mob. Oh, we love that. So, yeah, um, apparently he got into a fight with a white landowner and they just really didn't like how that went. And were like, if you don't leave, we will kill you. Yep, sounds about right. Sounds about white, yeah. Um, so he apparently would have fled to Nashville. Some sources that I was seeing um, showed Julia, like, well, anyway, so when he left, he was supposedly went to Nashville, and he left Julia there. So then Julia ended up falling, like, finding and getting involved with a man named Noah Johnson, who was a farmhand, and that's who was the father of Robert. Oh, okay. So then here's where it gets weird. It says that um, different sources say that Julia left Hazelhurst with Robert to go find Charles again, and then some sources even say that he lived there in Nashville for, you know, until he was, like, seven or eight. But um, I watched the Netflix documentary called Devil at the Crossroads, where um, Robert Johnson's grandson actually says that the information he has about Robert is that Robert and Julia would move... would move... um, all around the Mississippi Delta a lot from home to home, and that Julia might have even just walked out on him at some point. Oh, okay. Um, lovely. Uh Uh-huh. So, she's a superwoman that popped out babies, but maybe not the best mom. Just trying her best. I don't know. I mean, she's got ten kids. Her husband had to leave her, and then she got in with a farmhand so he's obviously well she got like left behind like he fled and took his 10 kids with him but not his wife i don't know what happened that logic doesn't follow so some something weird happened not sure but anyway so she's doing her thing now it's all his like timeline is so all over the place but whatever it says is that It says around 1919 or 1920, he reunited with his mom, and she was now living in Robinsonville, Mississippi, with her now husband, who's a sharecropper, named Will, quote, Dusty Willis. So we're going to call him Dusty. Okay. Um, so do you know what a sharecropper is, Ella? I have no idea. I was just waiting for you to explain. I had to look it up, too, because I was like, I really feel like the idea that I have in my brain is not correct. And so a sharecropper was basically, you could buy, um, like, seeds and tools from, like, a plantation owner. um, And you could work your crop, so you're sharing a crop. And then whatever you, like, harvest, he takes a portion of it for letting you use his land. 
and then you get whatever other cut that you get from it. Okay. So it's still, it's like, in, it's like slavery with more freedom, I guess. It's still That's bad. Like, yeah, slavery, but you get a little bit of it. Yeah, it's, it's just that the South didn't want to change. It's the South. The South never wants to change. So they were like, hmm, how do we get around not being able to have enslaved people? but still get our work done. Mm -hmm. I know. Give them a little more money. Exactly. How can we get the same amount of work done while saving the most amount of money and still taking advantage over black people? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what Dusty was. It's also what Charles Dodd was. He just happened to be very good at it. But, um... Oh, but Dusty was apparently not nearly as schooled as um, Charles was, nor how Robert was. I don't entirely know how Robert ended up getting as smart as he did, because his timeline's weird. But he was very smart, and he called Dusty illiterate. Um, and in turn, Dusty was really mean to Robert. Uh, yikes. Yeah, because they would get into fights about working the fields because Dusty was like, this is what we do. We go out, we work the fields. And Robert was looking at the whole situation of the job and going, this sounds stupid. I don't want to do this. This is is not a cool thing to be doing. Yeah, and if you think about it... Robert was part of the first generation that was born after the end of slavery. So he was seeing a very different life. Like he didn't, he wasn't born into a family that was still enslaved and seeing that as his future. He's seeing a very, he's seeing more opportunities, even though there were still very little opportunities for people. So, yeah, that makes sense. So he wasn't looking at the field going, that's where I go, which is, I mean, great. But Dusty yeah. did not like that attitude with him, and so he would, like, abuse him a lot. Oh, that's... Yay. Um, so apparently when people were... Because he was still around there because he had to, so in the fields is where people said the blues was really born because they were playing the harmonica and they were singing little things. Like, everyone wanted to claim it was the church, but really it came from the fields. Yeah. So, and then um, when they... There was another thing called... There were these places called juke joints. So... That sounds fun. It's... I think it, if you're picturing it now, it would be the equivalent of, like, a 50s diner where, like, you had young people who were dancing, playing music. That sounds like fun. But these were specifically black segregated places that they were allowed to exist here. Because everything was segregated. Yeah, so these were usually stores or houses that at night would become these, like, basically bars. Um, And people would play their own music there, and people would dance, and they would drink. Is it like Queen Latifah's place in Hairspray? I guess that's kind of close to... That's something you could look at, yeah. Um... But it was more of a business than mm-hmm. just, you know, a place for high school kids to hang out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I said, there would be musicians. And so, like, traveling musicians would come through playing blues and would stop in. Like, the big people got to play at the juke joints. Ooh, that's fun. Um... And so, um, here's where some of the problem starts, okay? 
juke joints would make a ton of money because people wanted to be where the fun was. Yeah, well, I mean, times are kind of boring back then, and everyone needs a little bit of fun in their life. I can't blame them. No, but what happened was people were spending all their money there on, like, Saturday nights, and so then uh, what happens Sunday morning? economy. No, well. just what happens Sunday morning in the, in the South? Oh, it's church time. Yeah, people would go to church, but now... Everyone's too tired to get up and go to church except for, you know, the wives and the moms. Yeah. And also no one's donating money because they spent all their money at the juke joint the night before. Gotta love church. Yeah, so pastors were getting really pissed about the fact that they had no money and were seeing these juke joint people who were drenched in, you know, sin, quote unquote. Getting all the money. You like music, you're going to hell. Yeah, well, that's why they labeled blues the devil's music. It was never called the devil's music before this. Until the church was like, oh, no, we ain't, we ain't cool with this. Yeah, until the church was like, where's my money? Where's my money, <laughs> where's you my fat money? motherfucker? <laughs> so, you know we're on the same page today. As always. So, yeah, they're the ones who said, who equivalated blues with the devil's music. And they were telling the women that came to church that all these people down at the juke shop are going to go to hell because they're playing and listening to the devil's music. Well, that's where the party is. So, you know what? Let's just let's do it. Yeah. Um, so, the legend goes that Robert was 18, and he fell in love with a 15-year-old girl named Virginia Travis. Okay. So we're much later now. Mm-hmm. How, um, so they ended up lying about their ages so that they could go get married to each other. Um, and oh. sh- And she would eventually get pregnant. Um... Seems a little bit faulty judgment there, but okay. Because she's 15 and he's 18? Uh, just in general with this situation, just a, a tiny bit of faulty I faulty mean, judgment. I don't see anything weird about it. They're a little young, but that's no, just, just how shit was. No, just married thing and lying about their ages. Oh, okay. Well. Not the fact that he was 18 and she was 15. I don't really have a problem with that one. Okay. Well, Virginia's family was huge church people, and they were super religious. Um, So, of course, they were not happy about him playing the blues. Yeah. Well, as it goes, you know, devil's music, funking it up. Yeah, so he made a pledge to Virginia that he would stop playing the music. And... And they moved to a plantation where they could both work. Um, and up until Virginia was about eight and a half months pregnant. Damn. Okay. Yeah, that's when she decided that she wanted to travel to her grandmother's so that she could give birth. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Right. Okay. I mean, I guess... <laughs> What's weird to me is that she was going to go before Robert, and then Robert would meet her there after she'd had the baby. Yeah. Like, is this still when men weren't allowed in, like, birthing rooms because they couldn't see? I think so. So it just seems like, yeah, he's like, okay, yeah, you go to your grandma, she'll help you do the baby thing, and then I'll just come and see the baby. No, it feels like he should have gone there with her. Like, I don't, yeah. It, when Josh listens to this, he's going to be like, no. Oh, you're already shaking. You're already nodding your head. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, he's going to go travel. Um, he's going to travel on his own so that he gets there in time to see the new baby. However, he takes the advantage of her being gone to bring oh, out no. his guitar again. Wait, oh wait, that's not an oh no, that's good. So, 
Um, so he goes, he travels, and as he travels, he's playing on the side of the road. Just, you know, he's playing as he gets to where Virginia is. Okay. He doesn't make it in time. Oh, no. What? What? uh, mm. When he gets there, he's told that the Virginia and the baby both died in childbirth, and they've already been buried. Oh, shit. So her family's all looking at him going, where were you? Were you playing the devil's music? You were too busy with the devil's music when she needed you to be here for her. And that's probably why she's dead, because you were busy playing the devil's music and the devil said no. And then God took her. Oh, my God. They fully blamed him. Of course they did. It wasn't... (laughs) This wasn't really his fault. He's just a kid, too. Yeah. He's 18, maybe 19 now. Maybe 20. No. Not okay. But that's what they did. They were like, this is all your fault. And he basically said, fuck it after this. And he was like, I'm just going to play music then. Right? He was like, if, you know, I already fucked up, I might as well just keep doing what I like to do. Yeah. So he really tried to become a... Like, a big guitar player, blues legend. Um, And so in July of 1930, um, the musician's son house moved to Robinsonville. Um, Don't know what that is, but all right. It's a person. Son house is a man (laughs) who was a very good juke juke player and a really big role model for what Robert wanted to be. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, Robert really wanted to be a guitarist, but according to Sunhouse, he just wasn't good. He would mess with the guitars, and they would chase him out of the place because they didn't want him to break one of the guitar strings. And, um, so then he would play outside, and the people inside would tell people to go outside and make him stop playing. Oh, that sucks. So basically, he just, he was blowing it all over the place. Yeah. And then he disappeared. Oh. For a year. Or more. Like a year and a half at the most. Okay. No one really knew where he went. Like, he just disappeared one night, and then like a year and a half later... He just walks back in the door with his guitar on his back. Okay, I guess. Suspicious, but all right. What an entrance. You. What an entrance to me. Um, <laughs> it's like when the guy opens the saloon doors and he like pushes them open and walks in. You get that slow music playing. I, that's kind of how I hear it, where I just hear like his boots and everyone tops, stops and goes... <gasps> But it's kind of what happened because everyone was like trying to see who was coming in the door. Everyone was like asking what it was. And Sunhouse was the one who recognized him. And um, he kind of jeered at him and like was poking at him and being like, what are you going to do with your guitar? Are you going to just bother everybody again? Uh, Rude, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Robert is just like, oh, you know, just, you know, take a chance on me. It's cool. It's just one song. And so Sunhouse is like, sure, whatever. Um, so Robert gets onto the stage and he adds a seventh string to his guitar, which no one had ever seen before. Okay. You go, man. Uh, and then he started playing and it was stuff that like they had never heard of and people just lost it. They loved it. Hell yeah. And people were really, like, dumbfounded because he was playing in a way that even the mentors here in the juke could, couldn't play like. And he was really weird about it because if he saw people watching him play, he would either turn his back to the audience or just stop playing altogether. Oh, wow. <clears throat> So, I mean, a lot can happen in a year and a half. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. 
But this is when everyone starts talking about the crossroads. Yeah. And they're like, nobody... so good so quick. Yeah, they're like, nobody can can come back as, you know, this good, this good of a player, it, you know, when he was horrible before. Yeah. And so everyone started talking about how he had sold his soul to the devil for some serious skills on the guitar. Makes sense. Okay. But what also didn't help was the, some of the song titles he made and the lyrics that he had. Which, yeah, that like, could do it too. Yeah, he had um, a song titled Hellhound on My Trail and another one called Me and the Devil Blues. Those both sound like bops, though. Not gonna they lie. are. I was, I looked it up. His music is not yet public domain, um, uh, but it's on Spotify. He only has 29 songs, and I encourage you all to go check them out. Did you listen to him? Yeah, I've listened to them multiple times. Are they bops? They're fun. I don't want to get into it too much right now because I'm going to talk about his legacy later. Okay, fine. We'll get into this later. Yeah. So, so crossroads are a hoodoo practice in origin. Sounds about right. So, um, in in hoodoo... Going to the crossroad, um, or just hoodoo in general, was about regaining control in a time when um, African American people didn't have a lot of options on their side, and they were just seeing violence all over the place. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, what we're thinking is Robert was just kind of taught that practice as a child, and so it just became seeped into his songs later on. Nice. Um, and there's also... Most people do. Yeah. So, so what it was with the crossroads was that you would go to meet an entity at a crossroad and they would give you knowledge or insight to learn more things, basically. It wasn't ever about deals or, um gaining something it was just learning and being able to move forward and it wouldn't have made any sense for them to be like oh well the devil gave him all these skills well yeah but we're also assuming that people understand hoodoo in the way it's supposed to be that's fair especially if you're not knowledgeable about a lot of things especially when you're in a christian seeped south yep like, even, you know, black people of the time had moved away from hoodoo and were very Christian. Because Christianity is just the thing, I guess. Yeah. So, um, so again, with him being the first generation born after um, slavery, is that there's some things that are in his lyrics that... People that studied the history say were just things black people did to survive while they were enslaved. Yeah. So in Hellhound on My Trail, he has a lyric that says, I sprinkle hot powder around my door. Um, And they say that that was something enslaved people would do to evade bloodhounds which is what was sent after them when they were being chased by lynch mobs. Oh. So Hellhound on My Trail could just be referring to being chased by white people and not feeling safe at all, ever. Yeah, well, that is valid. Entirely. Um, So yeah, it could be a lot less about making deals or magic and just more about the realities of living in Mississippi at the time because as a black person, yeah. Yeah, because Mississippi at the time was so dangerous for black people that if you were living in other southern states and you were acting in a way white people did not like, they would threaten sending you to Mississippi. Oh. Because anyone knew that it, whatever would happen to you somewhere else 
was better than going to Mississippi. That is terrifying. That's, it's awful. Like, I can't even imagine that being my history, and it is. Like, I'm not from Mississippi, but it's still the American history. That's something that happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's good that, you know, we're finally learning about it. Yeah, and it's just, there's so much. There's so much to learn about, and it's just all awful. Yeah. Um, but they think that Robert might have played into the legend of him selling his soul to the devil as I mean, a... He probably feels like he has nothing left to lose at this point. It was more in that they thought he was using it as protection, because if people didn't like him and tried to come after him, he'd be like, well, oh. if you mess with me, it's not just me you're messing with. And so people would leave him alone. That's smart. Um, his grandson thinks that if he doesn't really believe in meeting, making a deal with the devil or whatever, and he thinks that if there was, it's more of a metaphor for facing bad parts in his life and waking up, you know, getting a wake-up call. Yeah. I don't necessarily know that I believe in that because I feel like it would have been really easy for him to see the death of Virginia and their baby as the wake-up call, but I think that would have sent him in the opposite direction of blues. Mm-hmm. Well, he seems smart enough to play his cards right. Yeah. But, um, so it came out later where he went during that year he was missing. Oh, okay. So he ended up going back to his birthplace of Hazelhurst, Mississippi, because he was looking for his biological father. Who was in Tennessee? No, who was in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Oh. But, um... When he was looking for his father, he ended up meeting a man named Ike Zimmerman, who was a very talented guitarist in that area. Nice, nice. So it's said that he became Robert's mentor, and they would play in graveyards because Ike said, no one here cares what you sound like. That is a good way to think of it. Yeah, so he told him that the only way to really learn the blues is to sit on a grave at midnight because then the ghosts will come out and teach it to you. Yeah. So, Honestly, that sounds kind of nice. I dig it. I think, you know, blues are supposed to be sad and I'm sure there's a lot of sad ghosts. So I, I just dig the whole concept. Yeah, um, it didn't like didn't help his legend at all to dissuade from <laughs> the crossroad deal because he was playing a guitar at a graveyard at night. But I dig the whole thing. It's super metal and I love it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um somewhere along the way he ends up meeting a girl named Virgie Kane who also gets pregnant. And he is um, begging her to run away with him to start a family. Oh, wow. But yet again, her family is super religious and they will not let her marry him because he plays the devil's music. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah. So here, here's Robert again seeing his wife, and his child taken from him because he plays music. Yeah. Um, this baby does live. That's where his descendants come from. But Robert never knows the baby. Yeah, that sucks. Um, they had his son on the Netflix documentary, which you guys should go watch. It's only like an hour, so it's really fun. But he said that he saw him twice, and that he, so he tried to, like, come and be involved. But each time, the Virgie's dad would say, no, go away. Um, you can't see him. And so I think he would drop off money 
both times, and then after that he, like, gave up because he wasn't going to be able to see his son. Fucking good on him for trying. This man would have been, like, an A-plus dad. Probably. I think that's all he really would have wanted. I think he probably would have stopped playing, you know, in clubs, essentially. He would have played for himself and for his kids, but I don't think he would have gone traveling if he had a chance to have a wife and a child. This poor man. Oh, my God. We already saw him give it up before for a woman he loved and the promise of a child, so... Yeah. This is, I I feel so bad for him. This is bullshit. Yeah, because especially after this is like, he's just seeing how it doesn't really matter what he does. It always gets taken away from him. So he kind of just like throws all fucks into the wind and just says, well, then I'm just going to be a no good blues player that everybody thinks that I am. Yeah. So he starts, um becoming a really hard drinker he starts womanizing um and he just seems like he doesn't care about anything or anyone except for his music yeah so he's finally making it big he's traveling from juke joint to juke joint and the legend of him just keeps preceding his arrival yeah and um as he's traveling, he meets another musician by the name of Honey Boy, which I love. So cute. Yeah, that's sweet. So sweet. Um, and so they meet on the road, and they start traveling together. And Honey Boy was actually with him the night that everything catches up to him. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, so in 1938, outside of Greenwood, Mississippi, there was a juke joint named... The Three Forks, which is funny. Yeah, that's ironic. Very ironic. Um, Robert had apparently been having an affair with the wife of a worker who was working at the Three Forks. Oh, shit. So, it's said that one night he was running his mouth a bit, and he just went too far. Um, And so, one of the workers gave him a whiskey bottle that had the seal broken on it. Oh. Um, One of Robert's friends tries to smack it out of his hand and saying, look, the seal's broken. You should never drink out of a bottle with the seal broken. And Robert gets really mad at him and is like, don't you ever slap a $7 bottle out of my hand again. Oh, wow. He was just looking out for you, man. Yeah, I mean, and rightfully so, because it was poisoned. Ugh. Yeah, no one's sure who exactly poisoned it. Um, We just know it was someone at the bar. Yeah, because, like, we know who wanted the poison in there, but we don't know who actually put it in. Yeah. Um, anyways. Do we know what poison it was? No. Okay. So, anyway, he drinks it anyway because it's a $7 bottle of whiskey and no one's going to tell him what he can and can't do. Yeah. I mean, $7 is a lot of money back then. Yeah. Honey Boy said that Robert was immediately sick and that people kept trying to cheer him up and give him more shots because they didn't want him to go home. They wanted him to keep playing. But he just, he what couldn't. What made him immediately sick? I don't know. Is arsenic that bad? I don't think, I don't think so. And that also it depends on, like, how much they put in there and, like, did he drink the whole bottle? You know, there's a lot of factors that nobody really knows. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Robert is immediately sick and he goes home. And apparently it took him a couple days to die. Like, two or three days. That sucks. Yeah, and people said it really hurt and he was screaming. I remember hearing somewhere, but I couldn't find it elsewhere, that at the end of it he was hallucinating and he was screaming about hellhounds coming for him. 
That's terrifying. Like, I remember, it might have even been real-life ghost stories. I feel like I talk about them all the time on here, but I think they did a thing on this, and there were people with him when he died trying to, like, nurse him, and he was screaming to them about hellhounds or, or just big dogs. I mean, if he's hallucinating, do you think that he could have just internalized the legend? It very well could have been. Um, and maybe he was hearing his own screaming and it sounded like wolves to him, or I don't know. That sucks. That's such a shitty way to go. Yeah, that it sounds awful. Um, so, of course, police went to the suspect, but they didn't charge him with anything. And then, surprisingly, black people let the whole case go. Um what? They didn't, they didn't go after it because, to them, Robert was just a man who played devil's music. Yeah. It was very much like, well, he got what he deserved, so why are we going to look into this? Damn. So, just really, like, he never, he never got away from this lie that was created in churches. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, around the same time, up in New York, um, a man by the name of John Hammond, who is very well known now and has a son with the same name, he was, um, like the main music guy up there and he wanted to teach people up north where jazz came from, like where swing came from. And so he decided to put a concert together to display blues musicians from, like, all over the place. That seems, that's cool. We love that. Yeah. So he sent a scout to Mississippi to go get Robert and was like, let him know that he's going to come play at Carnegie Hall. Huge deal. Oh. Oh, no. Um, so the guy goes down there only to find out that Robert's dead. And he actually died, like, about six months before the concert was supposed to happen. That sucks. That'd be such a big thing for him. Well, um, I mean, John Hammond didn't really let it, like, he didn't let it stop there. He's been pretty much the one that's kept Robert going and so oh, wow. um he had okay. he had an album like record like ah uh, fuck like a an album like you know what we call albums now like the recorded discs what are they yeah. called freaking records there you go <laughs> why did that take me so much <laughs> i have them <laughs> anyway so he had a record that he ended up playing for the crowd during the concert, as if he was just there anyway. Oh, um, wow. That's awesome. And people people loved it. And um, so he's, he was kind of a person of interest at that point, but it really it died out pretty quickly. Um, and what happened was... That in the 50s, white thrift store kids ended up, they would go and buy old records and they would find his. Oh, we love that. And so that's what sparked the like blues craze of the 50s and 60s, which would eventually lead to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So rock and roll was started by black people. Yeah, because um, so things were. As most things. All good things. But, so Robert recorded 29 songs, and they had this, like, piano keys. If you picture any, like, traditional blues song, that's him. Oh, wow. Was he, like, a cre- like a major creator of that style of blues? Um, yeah, so he had that sound, and so Muddy Waters would hear his music and would go to Chicago inspired by him, and then Muddy Waters basically made the blueprint for what is now modern blues. Oh, that's awesome. So 
They call him the father of blues and rock and roll, basically, because if you trace everything back, it all comes back to Robert Johnson. Wow. Dude, that's great. Um, yeah, so then we have the 50s white thrift store kids that are starting this whole new wave of craze. So our good old buddy John Hammond comes back out and he re-releases Robert's album. Solid. Okay. He also plays it for Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan is influenced by him and says if he had not heard Robert Johnson when he did, his music would be very different. Wow. Um, other artists that heard it and were influenced by him were Keith Richards and Brian Jones of Rolling Stones. Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. Um, and like I said, many people label Robert Johnson as the father of modern blues and rock and roll. That explains a lot. Yeah. So, like, he he didn't have the best life, but he... His legacy continues. Yeah, I mean, he deserves it, honestly. Yeah, it did have he some... Died. Yeah, it did have some people, because of the Crossroad deal, talking about this thing called the 27 Club. The 27 Club? Yeah, do you have any idea what that is? No, not a clue. Um, so the 27 Club is mostly about musicians, but I've seen actors and, you know, whatever. But it's the just... Celebrities? Yeah, it's just about young people who have extreme talent and fame that people think sold their soul for it. So, like, a weird version of the Illuminati? Well, it's because they all died when they were 27. Oh. Because they all had this extreme talent and were getting super famous, and yet they died by... Some sort of horrific, you know, random event. What the? Hang on. I need to learn more about this. I mean, there's really not a ton about it. It's very, like, superstitious. But people who are in the club are Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. What? I mean, there's more people in there. I saw them put the um, the Russian guy from Star Trek that I love. You know who I'm talking about? The I one can with, see his face. Yeah, the, the one with Chris Pine. Um, they put him in there, which is interesting. I don't think I'd seen a ton of um, actors in there. It's usually musicians. But, like, if you look at all these people, they died, you know, from... Usually overdose, overdose, and like everyone always talked about it because it was like this person was so talented and like gonna go places and then they were just gone. I mean, Kurt Cobain is another situation. I want to talk about it at some point, but yeah, you know, it's mostly just a legend, but it is weird and it just it keeps going back to the crossroads deal that started. With Robert Johnson. Yeah. That's so crazy. Very, very interesting. I'm learning so much today. Yeah. So that's Robert Johnson. Legend of a, of a guitar player. Father of blues and rock and roll. Who just wanted to be a father. He's a kick-ass dude, bro. Yeah. Um, yeah, his grandson's still alive. He's in the Netflix documentary. Very sweet man who really just seems to want to perpetuate his grandfather's legend. There is a museum that is the Robert Johnson Blues Museum. I um, They have a website, too, so you can check that out. Nice, nice. Well, that was fun. We love museums, especially music museums. It also looks, it looks very small, like a, 
um, like a little store, like a storefront here that you would see, like a little mom and pop grocery store. Mm-hmm. Let me find where it is. Makes it's, sense. It's in Crystal Springs, Mississippi. And yeah, it's a little teeny tiny place, but it looks like it has like a bunch of pictures and it's on like a, like an old town looking kind of downtown area. Yeah, no, nice. the old cute yeah. little South Main Main Street Road. Yeah, one of one of those. Yeah, like that. So that'd be fun to go to at some point. Mhm. So yeah. Nice. Happy Black History Month. I'm sorry I only gave you one at the end of the month, but I wanted to make sure it was done right. Well, it's not like this is the only time we're going to cover cases about black people. Of course not. So, it's an all-the-time thing. All the time, yeah. Black history is not just a month. (laughs) Exactly. It's all the time. All the time. Well, should we tell them the things? Yeah, let's tell them the things. Alrighty, you can find us on Instagram at nope underscore I'm underscore scared. Follow us, like us, shoot us a DM. We're happy to chat with you guys. Um, and if you have personal stories, hometown murders, almost kidnaps, uh, spooky ghost thingies, haunted house stories, dream things, Anything. you can send them to us at our email, which is nope I'm scared podcast at gmail.com. Hell yeah, um, you can. I, I think next time will be a live normal episode. Should be. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, we hope you uh, come back and listen to more. Oh, great. A siren. Oh, lovely. Lovely. Um, well, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks and for listening. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.